BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. A playlist original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is a proof. What kind of proof? It's a proof. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today we're talking about Celine Dion. Famous, iconic diva. Quebecois Chanteuse. <laughs> so we decided to break this up. We started looking into Celine's life and career, and there's just too much. You know, she's she's in her 50s. You know, she's got this really long, fruitful career. So to be quite honest, we're not sure if we're going to do two or three episodes. I want to do three. Liv is skeptical. Um, but we're... <laughs> Going to do more than one. This one will focus on her her early family life growing up, as well as her um, career in French language music. We'll sort of get into meeting her husband and love of her life, Renee. Yeah, her family and kind of looking a little bit at where she came from and how she developed into the icon that she is today. So Liv, let's start. Let's start right there. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. We say that every episode. That's our tagline. <laughs> when you read, you begin with ABC. Okay. Oh my God. Were we both making that joke? Did we both? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, ex- you were referring to sound music. Of course I was. Okay. Do I have a degree in musical theater or science? You know, so celine where was she born katie charlemagne (laughs) quebec 1968 she is singing out of the womb (laughs) not actually but you know damn close she's the youngest of 14 children um, sorry 14 i think we just should like spend a moment on that 14 the youngest of 14 children Like, that's that's crazy. It's crazy. I read something that was like, her mother was not excited to have a 14th child. Yes. 
Yes. Which, actually, Celine said that, which I was kind of surprised that she was acknowledging. But Celine followed it up with her mom saying that, you know, she loved children so much that it just it kept her going through the 14th pregnancy, 14th child. <laughs> which is truly remarkable. Her mother actually yeah. only just passed early this year. She passed yeah. in January 2020. Yeah. Celine speaks so highly of her mother. She calls her her idol. It's really very sweet. Yeah, and you think being the 14th of of all the like of the last of 14 children that she would have been a little neglected, but it doesn't seem like she was at all. <laughs> no, and like, you know, the novelty, I don't have kids, but I think the novelty's got to wear off really fast. Like um, I think by 10 or 11 you're like, <laughs> "All right. I know what this is." Yeah. Well, apparently 12 and 13 were twins, right? So Right. But I'm just saying, I think it's remarkable. She seems to have a really close relationship with her mom. Yeah. Maybe not remarkable. <laughs> it's nice, though. It is nice. Yeah. So her – and her father, I, I looked in. I found some conflicting stuff. I saw he was a butcher. I saw he was just a businessman. I've seen that a few places. You know, it seems like growing up, they were not they were not super wealthy. I think they, they probably lived like a more working class family. Mm-hmm. They lived paycheck to paycheck. They certainly, you know, obviously had a lot of mouths to feed. I mean, that's going to make anybody pretty strapped. Um, but she describes a really happy childhood in a very musical home. Mm-hmm. Hence my singing out of the womb comment. But her whole family seems to have been into playing music and, and playing instruments. She was singing very young. So her mother was a violinist and her father... Her father had quite a few jobs, and one of them was that they owned a piano bar called uh, Le Vieux Barrel. So, so this episode is where we, uh, proud Canadians, really, really terribly try and pronounce French words and French phrases. You know, despite a long, you know, quite an education in French, you know, it doesn't matter. We cannot, we can't do it, and I'm sorry, and we should be able to. I'm going to be honest. I, I really did practice before I came to this episode and I, I still I can't. I still can't. And so, okay. So all of her siblings, like Katie said, were musical and they all played in the piano bar. That was one of the places that they performed. And when Celine was five, she begged her dad to uh, let her sing in the piano bar. And he, obviously he was very apprehensive Uh to let his five-year-old daughter sing in the piano bar. But he actually said that once she sang, the customers really took note of her. And any time that she would be slated to sing, the bar would be completely packed. Who does this remind you of? Shania Twain, our other favorite Canadian icon. Yeah. So much of their stories are are similar and and yet so different. It's, It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, she Shania also had quite a few siblings, not 14, but she had quite a few siblings. She was singing in bars really young um, and quite late. I think Celine describes, like, falling asleep at the piano bar <laughs> when she was little, but wanting to stay up and be, you know, a part of the party, which I think is very cute. She had another fairly big gig when she was five her first time singing i think in public was at her brother michelle's wedding which i think is 
adorable. But, you know, all to say, like, she started singing very young, and, and she describes, like, being a little girl with this dream, and it was, you know, it was all she really ever wanted was to be a singer. So she was constantly telling her mother that she wanted to be a singer when she grew up. And her mom was a little nervous about this, and she didn't want her to be singing in clubs. She wanted her to be, like, a true professional. And so her mom went around town soliciting or trying to solicit someone to write her a song. But all the songwriters, I guess, in Montreal said that they wouldn't write for kids. And at this time, Celine was 11 years old. And so her mom actually took it upon herself uh, with the help of her brother, Jacques, to write Celine a song. And to be honest, I think it's really a great song. I was quite surprised to find out that her mom wrote it. Isn't that incredible? So should we get a little taste of the song? So sure. this, this Celine song, the song that kind of set it all in motion for her is called... Ce n'était qu'un rêve. It means nothing but a dream. Nothing but a dream, or it was only a dream. And let's let's have a listen. So you have heard this? You betcha. You know this song? Yep, I, re- I recognized it immediately. Really? I don't know why I know it, but I know it. I sang in French quite a bit in my youth. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know mm, that. I did, I did. Did you sing this song? I didn't, I didn't. I, I avoided it at all costs. I only really sang a few, but I had to sing one every year for the music festival. Pretty extraordinary for 12, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, really keeping in mind that she's like 12 here, you know, I think... To be honest, like it's prob- it's good if she's 18, but it's like even more remarkable if she's 12 because of course like your voice is only beginning to develop so you can just already imagine like the talent that she's going to become and everyone can tell, you know. So what I think is really sweet about this story really and like how she became famous was that the whole family was involved in it. It wasn't just her doing her best. You know, her mom and her brother wrote this song. They had the whole family involved in recording this. And then her brother uh, sent it to Rene Angelil. So a little bit about him, which I didn't know actually, was that he had a bit of a musical career himself. He was in a band in the 60s that was described as being the Canadian Bee Gees. Sorry. Yeah, I saw a little clip of it. It was very like BGS-esque, actually. They were all like in suits, snapping their fingers. It was cute. Like, like pe- en français? En français, obviously. And um Yeah, and then so he had his career and then he turned into a manager and he was the manager for a popular singer in Quebec who the Dion family apparently idolized. And that's how Michael found him in the first place because uh, they they were so into the singer that they thought, okay, we'll reach out to her manager and see if he's available because he's obviously the best or I, I guess the story goes. So that's why Michael reached out to him. And the story is that he was so moved by her voice singing the song that 
Okay, wait, wait, wait. No, you're missing the best part of the story. What's the best part? So so Michael sent in the tape, and he wrote on the tape that it was from a girl who was 12, and Renee didn't listen to the tape. And so Michael calls back a week or so later and said to Renee, I know you haven't listened to the tape, because if you've listened to the tape, you would have called me right away. And so Renee's like, he he said to himself, like, you know, it's from a 12-year-old. Like, he's really apprehensive about it. And uh, But after he his phone call with Michael. Oh, yes, he, because he didn't want to manage children. I did read that. Mm-hmm. And so. position before. Yeah. So after after his call with Michael, he thought, okay, I'll give it a chance. And he listened and, you know, he was obviously blown away. And so he called her and said, can you come sing for me live? Because he almost didn't believe that the, that was her voice. And so later that day, she came in with uh, with her mom and sang for him. And what happened, Katie? And he was so moved that he cried. And he said that he was really shaken up and that you only hear a voice like that every 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. And how does the story go? Like, does he, like, engage her? <laughs> I keep saying that. Does he become her manager immediately? Do you know? Yeah, that's my understanding because it seems like he had an opening. He was actually looking for someone at the time. And so it was kind of – Looking for talent. Yeah, it was kind of the perfect storm in that sense. So um, he – yeah, he had a lot of faith in her. He really believed in her. And so it, he didn't have any money, though, to produce her an album. And so what did he do? He he had so much faith in her that he refinanced his house. It was funny, actually. I was like, this guy is insane. Like, this is – that's an insane thing to do. And he actually acknowledges it in a later – interview in his life he was like i i wouldn't recommend doing that because nine times out of ten you fail (laughs) nine times out of ten the 10 year old the 12 year old is not celine dion yeah exactly but obviously it worked out for him and she he became her first and only manager for the rest of her career and so you know needless to say it was a gamble that paid off but uh yeah for the folks listening at home don't don't get any grand ideas and you know, you're probably not going to go find Celine Dion. We didn't. What we didn't acknowledge, which we should acknowledge, is that when Dion first met Renee in 1980, she was 12, and he was 38. Um, Do we need to get into that? We don't necessarily need to get into that, but it just sets the scene for their relationship going forward, and a lot of how their relationship unfolded because. They kept their relationship secret for some time because they were worried about what people would think of them. Like, their age difference factored was a very important part of, like, their story. Yeah, but we're not we're not insinuating that they were – they started their relationship while she was 12. No, we're not. We're not doing that at all. Well, okay. So this is interesting because I was thinking about this with Celine. I was – Celine is this like beautiful, talented woman, and Renee is. Oh my god! Cut cool. That. So oh my I just god. no. I what, all I'm trying to say is that like I was like, what it, it what is it about him that's like bringing her in? Because like 
they Such obviously a tough hit on Renee and he's dead. Okay, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but my point is I was like what is it that's like bringing her her into him? Like obviously there's uh, there's obviously like I'm sure there's tons of things. But what's interesting to me is that she was the youngest of 14 children, right? So she had constantly spent her life around people that were older than her. Oh, yes. I love the psychoanalysis. Keep going. Yeah. And so I really think – and she – like she says that, that she was – she always was around older people. She always like was very mature for her age. And I think she connected more to people who are older than her. I remember I her – guys that too. Okay. We're talking about Celine Dion, Katie, not Katie McGurk. Um, Just kidding. Um, And so I, I think that that was like – that was part of it, that – she felt a lot older than she was. And obviously she went on this crazy whirlwind. I can imagine by the time she was like 19, 20, she was way more mature than an average 19, 20-year-old, right? She was done with boys. She was ready for men. Yeah. Not that she ever really had boys, right? Like Renee was really her only relationship. She talks about this one time uh, where she like kissed a boy on a porch when she was like, 15 or something but like that's really it like renee was like her one and only she talks in her autobiography my story my dream about kind of starting to develop feelings for renee when she was quite young and she knew that her mother disapproved of it and so she said before that she she fell asleep under her pillow. She kept a picture of him and she hid it from her mom because she knew that she was like a little nervous about the age difference. And like she realized over time that it wasn't just an infatuation, that it was actually love. And of course, they never started a relationship until um, she was 19. And we'll get into the ins and outs of her relationship with Renee in the next episode. But just for those of you wondering, I know it's like, it's honestly like one of the like more talked about things about her, I think, is their relationship. Because it's like, um, it's funny actually that you brought up the connection between Shania because I see like so many commonalities between Celine and Renee and Shania and Mutt, right? It's, it's like this professional and personal relationship that makes the professional stronger because they're doing everything together and they trust each other. And one person has the business hat, one person has the performance hat, sort of. It, obviously, it's a little different for, for each couple. Well, I also think – well, I'll say this too, too, is that I also think it plays a part in, like, professional success as well because you're leaning on a person that you actually trust. And I think that that's something I heard Celine talk about a lot with Renee was that – she never questioned him and she totally believed in what he was saying. And I think it, it created an ease and a dynamic that like they built a whole team around. So I really didn't know this. I think as Anglophones, we don't realize we, we know that she's from Quebec. We know that her, that she speaks French, but we probably, I didn't realize how much of a celebrity she was as a teen. Um, like in the French speaking world and doing like she has a whole career of French albums. And then she really only broke into the, the Anglosphere, you know, after she had quite a bit of success as a French singing. No, I was going to say a French speaking singer. And then I was going to be like a French singing singer. <laughs> um, 
A francophone. A francophone singer. She appears on TV for the first time singing when she's 13 on Michelle Jasmine's show, which is a Quebec talk show. And I tried to get information about it, but it was all in French. Um, so, so I couldn't find that much. Uh, when she's 14, she wins the World Song Contest in Japan. Which seemed to be, like, really highlighted by a lot of news sources. And I and I didn't realize that this was a really important song festival. I guess it is. Is this the, this is the Yamaha Song Contest? The Tokyo Song Festival, I thought. When she's 15, she is the first – she becomes the first Canadian to win the gold, a gold record in France – and, you know, by the time she's about 15, she's she's properly a celebrity in Quebec. And she's she's quite famous. She actually drops out of school at that point to concentrate on her career. And I watched quite a few interviews with her at this age um, because she's she's getting interviewed by, like, Quebec media. And, um, I mean, I know it's her, but she she seems kind of, like, almost – she is almost unchanged. Like, you can really see that version of her. It is still there in, like, current Celine. Um, she's, like, very good-natured and, and charismatic, and she's kind of got that twinkle in her eye when she, even when she was really young. Like, there's, she's she's very – obviously, she's a singer, but she's, like, very telegenic, too, from, from the young age as a kid. Like, she just seems to be such a born performer. Mm-hmm. I agree. She does have, seem to have, like, a sparkle, even when she's, like, quite young. Okay, so during this time, um, I watched this really sweet interview where she was watching Michael Jackson, and and she thought he was so great, and, you know, she wanted to be up there singing with him, and she wanted to be an international icon like him. And she was talking to Renee about, you know, becoming, like, an international superstar, and Renee told her that if she could learn English and do an interview in English that he would get her a record deal with the same company as Michael Jackson. What we know about her is that she does not turn down a challenge. If you put something in front of her, she is just going to work as hard as she can to achieve that goal. In 1984, she starts taking like a crash course in English so she can start breaking into the English speaking market, which as we know, she certainly does. Um, you know, like a lot of teenagers, like she grew up speaking exclusively French. So for her to try and for her to pick up English, like the way she did as quickly as she did it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think so too. It's really sweet. Um, her first English interview she ever did was with the CBC. Do we want to talk about that, Katie? Have you watched it? I have. I have. I, f- I found it to be incredibly endearing. It's so cute. You know what? She's kind of – you can tell that she's nervous about speaking English. She doesn't have like a, a good, strong grasp of the language as of yet, but that's not stopping her. She has this confidence about her while she's speaking English and her, her interpreters beside her and – you know, she's looking to her for some for some help. But it, what struck me was like her, her confidence with the language. And and she she just like the interview. All I really remember is just her asserting that she is going to be an international superstar. And I think that's probably what's getting her through like all these English lessons. <laughs> just like telling herself that every night. 
So when she was 18, Celine Dion disappeared for a little while to kind of create a new image for herself. So in 1988, she represents Switzerland at Eurovision. Liv, can you tell us about Eurovision? Because I bet you a lot of Canadians don't know what it is. Eurovision is like, it's, it's essentially a European song contest. And so each country in Europe selects a representative to go and compete and they sing a song and then every every country votes. You can't vote for yourself on who they thought the best performance was. And in recent years, it's become like quite political and countries like vote with their like alliance countries. So <laughs> recent in like recent years, Britain like just doesn't have any alliance countries. So Britain like always comes dead last. And um, it's really fun though, because you usually make an event out of watching Eurovision because there's some people who are like amazing like there's a couple like there's probably like two or three bangers that come out of Eurovision like really really good songs and the rest is like cheesy like 90s pop there's sometimes there's like ridiculous stuff like I remember one year I think it was Greece they just had like a whole bunch of like grandmas like who came and sang and like danced around like it was supposed to be like kind of silly and it was like so funny um which was like the point. Um, so it's it's very fun. But of course, like my very first question was, um, she's Canadian. Like, why the heck is she singing in Eurovision? Like, how is that even allowed? Like, she has no like she's no contacts to Switzerland for all intents and purposes. Yeah, it's it's very strange, and and I couldn't really find out like why or how she ended up representing Switzerland at Eurovision. Um, we're gonna get off your version but i just have have you watched that movie yeah i I didn't like it but yeah it's bad i heard it's bad i haven't watched it yet but i do think it represents something very important which is rachel mcadams doing comedies again which i think we all deserve Mm -hmm. i think we just Um, deserve more of rachel mcadams though like just generally yeah yeah i agree with you i think like i really admire that she wants to live her life as a low-key celebrity and do, like, interesting acting roles. But, like, I just need more of her. Like, I just need her to work more. And that's what I'll say on that. We have to watch a clip of her from Eurovision because it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Can I um, can I please describe to our listeners what she's wearing on Eurovision? That was – that was 100% my next question. What does she have on? So she has on an outfit that I can only describe to you as having to go to the office at 8 o'clock, but yet having ballet class at 10. <laughs> and uh, please elaborate. So she's essentially wearing like a, like a blazer dress. It's, it's a double-breasted, long-ish blazer. Dress. And then under... Neath. Well, like it's like longish. It's long. It's you know what? I'm not confident about what it is. It's 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 longer than your average blazer. Let's just say that. And underneath the blazer appears to be like a tutu for all intents and purposes. And it's pink. And the shoes. Oh, I don't remember the shoes. What are the shoes? The shoes are kind of a chunky high heel. But there's some kind of like something on the front, like a jet. Oh yes, or a flower. Like there's something on there. Yeah, very like fifties. Um, what is that? Like, yeah, you know what? I don't think it. I can't. 
I can't articulate a certain time period. Um, I mean, I think I think it all of it is is, is a representation of, of what the eighties were. But her like frizzy, kind of wet looking hair also <laughs> is, and it's the shortest I've ever seen it because she has, she kind of famously has pretty long hair for a lot of her career. Yeah, but she has a pixie cut. You're forgetting about the pixie okay, cut there's era. That phase, era. But like she now has really long hair. She's had long hair for a while, and her in her teen years, she has long hair. Anyway, back to Eurovision. So she sings a song called Go for it. Katie, I'm ready. Don't leave without me. <laughs> <laughs> ne partez pas sans moi. Ne partez pas sans moi. Don't don't leave without me. Mm-hmm. That's what that means, right? Yeah. Uh and it's it's wonderful. And she wins. Mm-hmm. There's there's, you know, no mystery there. Liv, let's let's take a little taste of of Eurovision here. And I'll say again in this, she's a more experienced now. She'd be about, she's I think 19 here. And yeah. she's still like, just, she's so telegenic. Like the way she's looking into the camera, like you're like, Celine knows what I ate for lunch today. Like she is looking right into you. This is a pretty good song. It's kind of confusing though because I kind of thought it was going to be a power ballad, but it's kind of upbeat, but it's kind of it's not danceable. I'm going to be honest, like this is very on brand for what I imagine the Eurovision song contest is like in the 80s. Like it's very um like Eurovision songs are very like poppy. Like even if they're like a bit of like a power ballad, like they're still like pretty poppy. But but not danceable. Like this is not danceable. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. But it's still like it's kind of like a little poppy, you know. It's 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 wonderful. I love it. So the Eurovision contest was it was like people did say that it helped really boost her inter- international fame. Um because it it's a super high profile event in Europe. So already that's I, I mean obviously of course she's still singing in French at this point, but I mean, so what do you think boosted her? Well, I definitely don't think that she would be where she is today. Like, I I don't think that this was the inciting incident of like Celine Dion, the icon. But I think that this was a really good step in the right direction. I definitely think it got her some international attention. Okay, so Liv, is this a good time to talk about some of the the vocal challenges that she's she faced in her career? Yeah, so this is a theme actually throughout her whole career that she that she does struggle with, but this is the first the first time where she has some serious problems and some serious concerns. So in eighty uh, nine, she was twenty one. She was doing a lot of touring with her recent album being out and she injured her voice and initially when she went to the doctor they told her that she had nodes and anyone who's a singer or knows a singer knows that nodes are the worst thing of all time they like are an instant career killer and can you explain what nodes are yeah no no i can't (laughs) but my understanding of them is that it's like a little bump on your vocal cord that needs to get surgically removed obviously 
it's, there's huge risks with doing it. Um, if you're a professional singer, <laughs> uh, for the future of your voice and how your voice is going to sound afterwards. And so of course she got a second opinion. I believe it was in New York, uh, by a Dr. Gould who basically gave her an ultimatum and said, you have to be completely on vocal rest. You can't speak. You can't whisper nothing for three weeks and then do intensive vocal therapy, or you're going to have to get surgery. And so if you do not to get too sciencey, but it's just very interesting. So do you get, you can rehab nodes without surgery if you do intensive therapy? Is that your understanding? My understanding of nodes and like, please no one quote me on this, but that it's essentially like overusing your vocal cords that you've, you've stressed them. And so if you can relieve some of the stress and rehab them, yeah, like it's my understanding that you don't need surgery to fix nodes. But actually this second doctor, Dr. Gould didn't actually find any nodes. And um, so that part of the story, I was a little bit confused about because I was like, how can one doctor find nodes and the other doctor not find nodes? Seems weird to me. But whatever. This doctor in New York... Science is an imperfect science. Yeah. So, but whatever the case was, this doctor in New York gave her these these two options and she ultimately decided that she was going to go with uh, three weeks vocal rest and intensive vocal recovery And it's funny because Renee says that this was like one of, I mean, obviously they've been working together for quite a long time at this point, but it was one of those moments where he just realized how unstoppable that she was because it wasn't even hard for her to not speak for three weeks. And I can't even imagine like not speaking for three weeks would be like the biggest pain in my life. But she was so disciplined and so hardworking, like not a peep. Uh, for three weeks and um and and i and she talks about this time obviously being really difficult but i think it ultimately sets the foundation for um how she treats her voice as a performer going forward and i find it to be so interesting and like such a master class in like vocal excellence because I think because she had this big scare so early on in her career, what happens is that she never takes her voice for granted. And, um, you know, she essentially trains her voice like for the rest of her career as an athlete and frequently goes on periods of vocal rest. Um, I remember watching a documentary about her, uh, a new day has come to her and, uh, or her, her new day has come residency whichever it was and she essentially like doesn't talk on the day of her concert yeah she's just she's really intense with her voice and like yeah like it's it's so funny because like when you hear her sing like she really is one of like the healthiest singers like she's got such a like clean strong voice and like it's just incredible like it's it's really incredible and like the, the what she asks her voice to do is is hard on your vocal cords like there's no way around it and it's why you see singers like mariah carey burning out because they're obviously not doing the same routine that she's doing they're obviously not being as careful and like despite the fact that she's in her 50s now she really hasn't had any like 
major issues because she's like being so careful and being so nuts about her voice, like as she should be. It's like her moneymaker. She's kind of like a, she's a quirky person. Like she does kind of funny things. I think she doesn't get treated like the expert that she is. And I think I'm just loving listening to you just kind of, I don't know, really appreciate her because she deserves it. And we'll get into this, but like, She's somebody that people poke a lot of fun out of. And she's she's truly extraordinary and expert. And if that gives you any indication of how not biased. It's a really small thing is that as she's transitioning to the English market, she faces some backlash from her French-Canadian fans. And I think the next episode, we're going to move totally into the English market. So I didn't want to miss this tiny bit of controversy um, that she – We love a controversy. Yeah, we, we love a controversy. So in 1990, um, she was – nominated and actually won a Felix Award for the Best Anglophone Artist. And people were very upset with this because they didn't feel that she really was an Anglophone artist, right? Like they they felt like she was a Francophone artist and, and, and people were really critical of her winning this award. So she actually uh, chose not to accept this award very publicly so as not to like denounce her French Canadian status and her her true francophone status so there's a a tiny bit of controversy can i also tell you fun fact she opened up a bar and grill she has a bar and grill train in 1990 chain yeah it's a franchise nickels have you have you ever eaten at nickels no i don't did it last yeah like it seems like it's still a thing she's not part of it anymore obviously it's in i think it's mostly in quebec but it says ontario also and they have an extensive menu which includes sandwiches with montreal style smoked meat when you said she has <laughs> she said she has a restaurant chain nickels was really low on the list of things i thought you were gonna say of a guesses of potential names isn't that funny i don't even know what to do with that that's amazing okay just your fun fact of the day okay olivia okay i'm done i'm done i I promise that's okay but how do we end okay but i think we end this by talking about what's the inciting incident what's do we have one like where's the moment where she breaks into the english market and absent that let's lay the context for that for the next episode okay what I'll say is that there's two things that catapult her, in my opinion, to superstardom. Okay? And oh, this- we'd love a list, don't we? Yeah. We'd love a list. Even a short list, give me a list. <laughs> Number one. Write it down. Number one was when she sang Beauty and the Beast. This was... Beauty and the Beast, the song? Beauty and the Beast, the song. I do like that. I feel like that's one of the more underrated songs from Beauty and the Beast. Like... I don't know. I tail is that tail the whole time? <laughs> you just immediately want to start singing it, don't you? It just is one of those songs. It's one of those songs where you're like, tail is all the yeah. time. And it's like it's kind of hard to be like Beauty and the Beast. You want to be like Beauty and the Beast, you know? But you're like, but but when you say Beauty and the Beast, I don't hear it. I hear if you would say like Tales all the time, I'd be like Tail is all the okay, time. Okay, fine. You're right. You're right. Okay, so what's interesting about that, obviously, like, we both grew up with that movie, and I, like, remember her 
singing it, you know, like, and at that point in my life, she was already an icon. So I was like, oh yeah, Celine Dion, whatever. She sings that song. But at the time for her, it was a real breakout moment. Because, I mean, it was Disney, right? Yeah, it was Disney. So it got a lot of attention. And the the guy who she was singing with, which I don't, who I don't even remember the name of, was a pretty well-established R&B artist. And so I think that also helped ground it. But of course, we don't know his name now and we only know hers. Uh, so that was kind of the first thing that kind of, people knew her. People knew the song. Beauty and the Beast, and, number two. Beauty and the Beast. And the second one was obviously Titanic. My heart will go on. So and what the year story, did we get that, Liv? Titanic? Is that in 90? I think it's 97. Oh, that's right. 97. Wow. I've outdone myself. Um, so Titanic was obviously going to be this huge blockbuster film, but I don't think that anybody really anticipated that my heart will go on would take on a life of its own completely, right? That was something a lot of people said. Obviously, like it, she, like they knew that her singing that song was going to be a big deal, but like they didn't realize. And I think that that from that moment on, it seems like she became like a huge icon. That it was Titanic. It was Titanic. But of course, Titanic doesn't come without all these other little tiny things happening before, right? You know what they say overnight successes aren't made overnight ever. Is that what they say? Overnight successes aren't made overnight ever? No, of course it's a, it's a better there's a better quote. I think it's but the like, general principle. There's no such say. thing as an overnight success or something like okay, that. Okay, yes, that's probably way closer to what the actual quote is. <laughs> okay, I think that's where we're gonna end it. And look for part two. After Christmas. So we're gonna take a brief hiatus. We're gonna take two weeks off. Because we deserve it. To spend time with our family and and not our friends because it's COVID season. And um, so we'll be back in January. So watch out for that. And, you know, if you're starving for some Just Watch Me content over the holidays. Check out the archive. We've got, we've got lots Again. of episodes, you know. So check, 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 check it out. Were the microphones worse then? Yes. Did we not know how to edit then? Also, yes. But you know what? Come on. <laughs> Some quality content in there. You know what my pitch is? Come on. <laughs> and while you're doing a little scrolling, while, while you're bored over the holidays, you know, check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Twitter. Leave us a five-star review about how funny, uh, smart, and entertaining we are. Love to you say you. funny, smart, and beautiful. Well, they can't see us. They can't see us. <laughs> so they don't know. <laughs> Thanks. Oh. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.